0: Hi friend, welcome back to part two of our Life Academy at First Church of Benita Springs when we're talking about the toughest questions of life, the why questions. This is the most difficult area of Christian theology and it's been posed both intellectually as an abstract question and very emotionally from the depths of our souls. And it's important that we think on both levels, the head and the heart, intellectually and emotionally, for both of them are real. Today, we're going to be pressing our thought even further, specifically looking at the questions of how did evil come to us? Why is there suffering on earth? And how do we as Christians deal with it? Let me make it clear, at the outset that I am not gonna be quoting any verses from the Bible, though scripture is filled with helpful insights. And I'm also not gonna be quoting or referring to any of the books written, hundreds, thousands of them. I've read so many, have been very helpful to me. But in this brief message, we're not gonna be thinking about what others say. In fact, I'm gonna share with you what I believe. So we're gonna begin by first of all, zooming out to a global perspective and then zooming in to how we as individuals respond to these very important issues of life. We're gonna begin globally, and I mean that literally, we're gonna be talking about how problems, evil, and pain entered human experience on planet Earth. How could it be that a world created by a good, holy, perfect, and all-powerful God, who pronounced his initial acts of creation as very good, how can this world be as pain-wracked and filled with evil as it is? Well, the simple answer is, we were invaded from outside. We were invaded the way a virus invades a healthy body. We were invaded by a power a spiritual force or being known as Satan. This being not equal to God, but nevertheless extremely smart and clever and strong, rebelled against God, We think of him as an angel or a demon, as a supernatural non-material being, and in his desire to overthrow or set up his own kingdom rather than submitting to God, he seized upon planet earth, and in particular, upon those creatures set as the rulers of planet earth and uniquely fashioned by God to be in his image and able to have a relationship with him. Satan attacked earth by tempting our first human parents and luring them into, by his deception, a terrible mistake that in effect opened up the door for his coming and impacting with all of his maliciousness the life of human beings on earth. Satan desires to corrupt and destroy human men and women not because he cares about us, but because God does. And so he is using us as a weapon to try to hurt and attack and frustrate the purposes of God. And thus, that is all his intent with us. And so if we ask the question, why is there evil and suffering on earth? Well, partially we have to acknowledge It's our fault. We opened up the door. We allowed it. And whether as theologians and Bible scholars may debate, Adam and Eve were archetypes or an image of what happened or were literal people, the reality is the same. So we might ask why if evil has so corrupted human beings, Did God make us in such a way that we could sin? But to ask that question reveals that God's purpose for us required the ability to make a free and willful choice. For if we were not able to choose anything other than obedience to God, we would not have a free will. And therefore, we would not be human beings. We'd be robots, we'd be computers, we'd be trained circus animals, but we would not be who we are. So to wish that we had been made without the ability to sin would mean that we also would lack the ability to freely choose obedience and love. Love, after all, is only love if it is given freely, not if it's forced. Obedience out of love and devotion is very different from the forced obedience by people who are prisoners in a uh, jail. It is a totally different thing. So if we want to be really human, we've got to recognize that built into that is the potential either for us to choose evil or to choose good, to choose rebellion against God or to choose love for him. To understand who we really are as human beings created by God, we must not only identify that we have a free will and an ability to make a moral choice, but also that we have a dual nature. We are both physical bodies and we are spirits or souls. We share with all the other animals on earth the physical characteristics, including bodies that are not immortal and that are flawed and fragile and susceptible to danger. But we also possess every human being, a soul that gives us the capacity to live forever in a love relationship with God. And that in fact, is what he intended. That a time of life in the dual nature of body and soul will ultimately transition to a life of the soul or the spirit. I do not believe that every human being is going to live forever in the presence of God. Some people like to hold on to that. It's a nice fantasy that everyone ultimately will be saved and restored to love with God. But that is not the case. And I am convinced that the choices we make here in this earth, this Preliminary time have all to do with where we will spend eternity and if we will be alive forever with God or cast away from his presence. And thus, that dual nature is critical for us to understand. It is God's purpose and desire that everyone will choose to accept his grace and be reconciled to him that we might live forever in an eternal home the cornerstone of the reformed faith, that tradition, that theology that I embrace and that our church holds to has as its very center a conviction of the sovereignty of God. That means that everything that happens Though Satan may attack, though human beings may make poor choices, though seemingly random events may occur, everything is ultimately under God's control and ultimately his will shall be done in human beings, in human history, as in the entire universe. God has not abdicated his throne. He is still in control and for a time is choosing to allow rebellion until it is ended." Because of that conviction that I, as a person who has been reconciled to God, can be secure in the Lord, I am able to deal with everything that happens in life with a confidence and a security that nothing can happen to me outside of God's will and purpose for me. Do I know who else is going to be with me in that eternal life with God? No, I can't read any human heart. I'm just convinced that God will never make a mistake and he'll never do anything that is unjust or unfair and thus God's evaluation of all will be accurate. But those who have turned to Christ to receive his reconciliation can face every aspect of life with a confidence that the Lord is there and has a purpose in it. Now, from my perspective, when things happen to me I may wonder, did this come about as a result of evil done to me? Did it come about as a result of my poor choices? Or was it a result of seemingly random nature and events? All three of those can be realities. And yet, God's perspective is different than mine, for He sees all and He sees all eternity, my entire life at one time and the lives of all others with whom I interact. And thus God's perspective is automatically and ultimately very different than my own limited one. And though I do not know God's perspective, there are opportunities in life to grasp a portion of his purpose in hindsight. Looking back, I can see what that was meant to do or how things that appeared to be random or unrelated fit together in a beautiful plan. Not only can I sometimes see things in hindsight, but I am confident that in eternity, what is only partial to me now in this life will all become known and all become revealed. And so I look forward to seeing what God's ultimate plan is. The very central message of the Bible is the suffering God. That is a profound truth. As we think about why there is evil and pain, we need to recognize what God did about it. When human beings strayed and oh, disobeyed him and broke covenant with him, God would have been absolutely justified to abandon us and give up on us or to destroy us in righteous punishment. But instead, he made the much harder, even more unfathomable decision to personally redeem us and do whatever it took to reclaim us to a relationship with himself. And thus we find that God, leaving his perfection for all eternity, chose to become a human being, to live among us, to be betrayed, to be crucified, to die a death he did not deserve on behalf of us. And by rising again, he turned the tables on Satan who was the one who inspired foolish human beings to carry out the crucifixion of Christ. Satan, thinking he had won the great victory, turned out to be a fool, for Jesus turned the tables on him in his resurrection, thereby granting to us not only the assurance that he knows what it's like to live in a fallible human body and face every temptation and problem, he's experienced it all to be confident that he knows and he can relate, but also that his victory assures us an eternal victory through him. Thus, how do we Christians deal with pain? How do we make sense of it? We need to recognize that it's not something When it comes to us, as it does to everyone, no one gets a free pass through life without difficulty, not even the wealthiest and the strongest and the mightiest of us can avoid our own frailties and the imperfections of life. Therefore, when Christians suffer, we do not think that God has abandoned us or is punishing us, but we recognize it is a part of life and that God will use and does intend what comes to us to be for his ultimate purpose. And therefore, we look for that. And those who have been most successful as believers in coping with the difficulties and pains of life are those who have focused not on the why questions but the what now questions being less focused upon the reason as the response. For you see, when we suffer, when we experience pain, it changes us, but it can change us for the good or for bad. It can make us bitter or it can make us better. It is our choice, our response, how we turn to God, draw upon his resources, and cope with what comes to us. That makes all the difference. Let me close by talking briefly about the mystery of prayer. God invites us wherever we are at all times to talk with him and share with him everything about our lives. I pray every day. Some of my prayers, are what can be called prayers of petition for my own needs. Sometimes I pray prayers of intercession on behalf of other people, interceding for them before the Lord and asking God's blessing and grace upon them. Sometimes I pray prayers of thanksgiving for all the blessings God has given to me, which I don't deserve. And sometimes I pray prayers of repentance, recognizing the times when in my thoughts and words and deeds, I have strayed from God's way and seeking his strength and help to get back on his path. But in particular, when I pray for specific needs, either petition or intercession, there have been times when God has answered as I desired or beyond that in ways that I could not even explain. But there are other times when my specific prayers have been not answered as I desired. Does prayer work? I'm convinced that God calls us to pray because it is a spiritual power. But it is not a celestial vending machine where I deposit my prayers and then I push my selection it is rather participating in the great mystery of God's sovereignty and his purposes, which are beyond my complete knowing. And therefore, when I pray, I believe things do happen. I believe I am changed. By praying for my own needs, I am surrendering to God and acknowledging his presence. When I am praying for others, I am actually drawn closer to them, connected by an invisible cord of love. And I believe they receive an invisible spiritual strength from my prayers for them. But when there are prayers that are not given as I desire, I choose to pray the prayer of Jesus. Father, not my will, but Thy will be done. It was that prayer of trust, Thy will be done, O Lord, that gives me the confidence to know I am always in the hands of a sovereign God. Well, I hope you'll be able to join us for part three as we continue to explore the great paradox of the why questions of life and how Christians can deal with them.